0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant. And Jerry's out there somewhere wandering around. So if you see her, bring her back. Uh, And this is Stuff You Should Know. A rare top ten. Yeah, where we do all ten. Although I'm sure we'll end up combining some and it'll be like eight or something weird like that. But we just don't even really do these anymore. Oh, I see what you mean. No, no. It's been a while. This one's an important top 10 too. This isn't like, you know, 10 biggest things ever moved or anything like that. (laughs) Did we do that? No, I don't think we ever did. It's on how stuff works. Yeah, it is, right? It's a real thing. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe like 10 heaviest objects ever moved or something. Maybe we'll do it someday.
0: (laughs) Uh, this is from our old website that we used to work for, though how stuff works, mm-hmm. and uh, this is, and we've done <clears> stuff <throat> on different ways to suppress the vote and to rig the vote uh, through gerrymandering and such uh, efforts like that. Well, we we but, did uh, one
1: specifically called our election laws designed to suppress voting, and um, yeah, that's a good one to go listen to as well. It is because it's
0: very sad, but in the United States, um, suppressing the vote and ke- trying to keep people. And certain people and certain demographics from voting mm-hmm. is as old as voting itself.
1: Yeah, which is sad because everybody has this impression that you know, and it's pure state in America. If you want to vote, if you say this is my my right and obligation and, and duty as a citizen, um, you can go vote, and it shouldn't be all that hard. And you just go and you vote, and your vote is counted, and uh, maybe your person wins, maybe they don't, but you voted, and and. There shouldn't be any barriers to that. Voting is the the way that a democracy functions, so the most democratic way for the democracy to function is to remove as many barriers as possible. Unfortunately, there are a lot of barriers that are put up that do make things harder for people to vote, which is what we're talking about here. That's right, and they're not old
0: barriers. Uh, The Brennan Center for Justice, which is a think tank in New York, Mm -hmm and advocates for civil rights, especially around voting, they said since 2010, 25 states have passed new laws, making it more difficult for people to vote in the United States of America.
1: Yeah, so, and we should probably just come out and say, unfortunately, to our Republican listeners, this is not one of those both sides do it kind of things. Um, This is largely Republican, Republican Republican-controlled states and municipalities that Create laws and regulations that do make it harder to vote, and the reason why on paper is because it's it's to combat um voter fraud um the problem is this: voter fraud has been shown many 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 times over by many different studies by by groups from both sides of the political spectrum that it doesn't i mean it doesn't really exist it exists in such minuscule amounts that it might as well not exist that same brennan setter chuck that you mentioned a second ago they're big time into, into voting they um they did a study and they saw that between nine ten thousandths of a percent to four one hundred thousandths of a percent that's how the rate of overall voting fraud in the united states and if you're like brennan center i'll bet that's liberal um, there was actually a, an exhaustive inquiry investigation launched in 2002 by John Ashcroft, who was Bush Jr.'s Attorney General, if you'll remember. Heck I remember of a him. heck of a singer. Remember when he sang about the eagle flying high? Yeah, man, I remember that. He was anointing feet with oil. Yeah, when, yeah, that was him. So Ashcroft, his Justice Department launched a really thorough investigation into voter fraud in the United States, and out of examining hundreds of millions of ballots between, I think, um, oh, I don't remember what what years they looked at it over. They managed to bring charges on only 120 people and only 86 of those were convicted. Um, So there's there's really no evidence that voter fraud exists. And yet these solutions to voter fraud, voter fraud, which are obstacles and barriers to voting, are still established. Uh, They're still supported, even though people are like, Voting fraud doesn't exist. They say, well, we still have to protect against it anyway, so we're going to make voting harder. Um, And that's kind of the big problem that we're dealing with right now with with this thing. And this is why a lot of people point to this and say this is voter suppression.
0: That's right. And in fact, even in our most recent election, if I remember correctly, uh, Donald Trump launched an investigative body to look into the – because he lost the popular vote by roughly three million votes Mm – and he said that there were at least 3 million illegal votes cast that's why i lost that vote uh, didn't he form a body to yeah. investigate that that just sort of quietly went away without any findings
1: it did there were like there were some findings but they were you know and there was a report and it was actually kind of a scandalous report that said there's voter fraud everywhere and then people said well can you show us your your work and they said no and that's when it kind of faded off into nothing that's right um So, yeah. So there's like we're show like it's been shown voter fraud like basically doesn't exist. And yes, any instance of voter fraud, especially purposeful voter fraud meant to to affect the outcome of an election, throw that person in jail. Like, take away their right to vote forever and um, maybe spank them on the bottom, too. Like, this is not – it's not a good thing no one's saying, like, who cares about voter fraud? What people are saying is that voter fraud virtually doesn't exist. So, to institute all these draconian measures that make it harder for people to vote and seemingly, weirdly, make it harder for certain groups of people, like minorities and poor people, to vote – that's that's a problem because number one it's a solution to a problem that doesn't exist and number two again it seems to be voter suppression and a lot of people would say well why why would why would the gop care if if, if um like why would they do this then and apparently if you look at elections in general um, the republican party tends to be favored when fewer people turn out when, a lot of, when there's a large electorate, that usually tends to favor the Democrats. When not that many people turn out to vote, the people who turn out to vote usually tend to be Republicans. So a lot of people point to the Republican-controlled cities and states around the country and say, um, I think you're doing this to win, which makes it cheating. And you're cheating by taking away people's ability to vote or making it hard enough that they just give up and don't vote. That's right. So uh, a lot of this is going to be historical as
0: well. And I guess we should start with number 10, which is poll taxes. And early on, when voting kind of was in its uh, early stages, they thought, you know, a really easy way to keep people from voting is to have them pay a tax to have to vote. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And it doesn't have to be exorbitant, but maybe just high enough to where most of the people that we don't want to vote can't afford it. Uh, Most of the Confederate, former Confederacy, um, had these poll taxes. A lot of this stuff was in the South. Historically, right. Uh, unfortunately, Virginia charged about a buck fifty a year, which was about eleven bucks uh, in today's dollars. So that's not a lot of money, but it had to be paid in cash. And back then, if you were a sharecropper or if you were a smart uh, a farmer with a small farm. You bought most of your stuff on credit, and you didn't have a lot of cash lying around. You might have had 2 or $3 at any given point.
1: Right, and and you hit it on the head when you said a lot of this happened or started out. A lot of voter suppression tactics started out in the South um, during Reconstruction because all of a sudden there were a lot of black people – uh, who suddenly had the right to vote in the, the white-dominated South. And so the 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 white establishment was at threat of being undermined or replaced by black people or people who were friendly to black interests, and they didn't want that. So um, they started instituting things like poll tax. But they had to do it in ways where it appeared um, like it applied to everybody. So a poll tax applied to everybody. But then they would institute things like grandfather clauses, which literally said with poll taxes, um, if your grandfather was able to vote before the Civil War, you're exempt. Well, black people didn't really have the right to vote, especially in the South before the Civil War. So it's impossible that their grandfather would have had that right with white people who might have been poor but couldn't afford to pay the poll tax, but were probably going to vote. Uh, in favor with white interests in the South during that election, they would be exempted because their grandfather could vote before the Civil War. And that's how that was done.
0: Yeah, and in other Southern states, um, they had cumulative taxes on top of just being taxed. You had to do this several years in a row Mm -hmm. in order to earn that right to vote. So all of these things, um, you know, of course, this was eventually rendered illegal in 1964, with the ratification of the 24th Amendment, they said you can't do poll taxes anymore. After 100 and
1: years, we've determined it's not fair.
0: Yeah, and it took a couple of years, too. So all the way up until 1966, dude, there were uh, four states that still had laws on the books that had to be struck down in federal court that poll taxes were okay.
1: Yeah. Which is crazy. Another one that they did was literacy tests, um, which kind of went hand in hand. Again, a lot of this stuff started out in the the, the um, Reconstruction and then Jim Crow South. Um, and if, if you were uh, black right after the Civil War, there was a really good chance that you couldn't read way more of a chance um when compared to a white person. I'm not sure what the percentages is, but there were laws on the books that said it's illegal for you as a white person to teach your your um the the um people that you have enslaved um to read or write. It's illegal. Like literacy among slaves is not is not legal. And so um one way to prevent those people who were now franchised after the Civil War um from voting would be to say, well, you have to be literate to vote because, and this is sneaky, because if you're not literate, how can you possibly be an informed voter? You can't just come in and say, I want to vote for this person because I like their name. You have to be informed, and to be informed, you have to be literate. So we're going to test your literacy before we let you vote.
0: Right. Uh, One good example is in South Carolina in uh, in 1882, where you couldn't uh, even if you could manage to learn if you really wanted to vote and you managed to learn to write down your name and and your your ballot they said no you got to write down a ballot for each office if you want to vote for governor and senator and anything else then you have to 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 be able to write down all of those and put it in the correct box this labeled right. that you probably can't read and we're going to shuffle these boxes around too so even if you uh have someone that wants to help you cast that vote that's not going to be allowed to happen either um and you know forget the fact that people are uh have learning disabilities and sometimes have legitimate problems learning how to read even if they want to learn how to read mm-hmm. it's like saying that you can't vote if you if you don't have arms mm-hmm. to cast a, to cast a ballot it's just it's outrageous and uh it gets even more outrageous if you go to Louisiana where they had literal brain teasers that you had to be able to figure out in order to vote. And this one, I, I, I'm sure if I sat down long enough, I could figure it out. Right. But not when I'm probably nervous about casting my first vote as a former enslaved person.
1: Right. So so this one in particular, and this one was instituted as more and more black people learned to read, um, which, so just buckle up for this one. Write every other word in this first line and print every third word in same line but capitalize the fifth word that you write. So you could conceivably, especially as a, a literate person, figure this out. It, it would take you a little while. But say that you went and, and you, so you wrote all this stuff, and then you got to the last part where it said capitalize the fifth word. Then you went back and scratched out the small case, whatever that fifth word was, and capitalized that one. Or maybe you capitalized all the words, in it, and you had to go back and put them in lowercase. The fact that these tests were administered by white poll workers and that they were typically subjective, meaning that if if that poll worker decided you failed, you failed, when you went back and scratched that out and made, you know, capitalize that fifth word, there was probably a 100% chance that that white poll worker who didn't want you voting in the first place was going to just say, sorry, you failed, you can't vote.
0: Yeah. And you think, well, sure, but this was the 1800s. No, no. Some Southern states had these brain teaser tests all the way up until the mid 1960s mm-hmm. when uh, the Voting Rights Act finally said, you don't need to do a brain teaser to vote. That's um, illegal and it's kind of dumb.
1: Yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of um, a lot of chicanery, effery, I think, as John Oliver would put it, um, that was going on in the South. Uh but I mean, the, one of the mechanisms that I think that, that really got used um, that, were, that really just kind of, probably the most effective one, was just straight up violence. Like the, the Ku Klux Klan, um, the Knights of the White Camellia, um, a, a bunch of different groups, terrorist organizations grew up to terrorize Black people and people who supported the rights of Black people um to send a message it's saying like no we're we're the white power structure is going to be staying in power around here and we will go so far as to murder you and your family and make examples out of you to like leaving you in a tree as a signal to everybody else, this is what happens when you try to vote. This is what happens when you you try to register other people to vote. Um, and it was a, a very long-lasting legacy that went on from the end of the Civil War uh, up until I believe Congress finally uh, passed a, a law saying that, no, this is this is illegal. You can't do this kind of thing. But it went on for decades like this.
0: Yeah, they finally made it a federal crime. And more than 3,000 Klan members were indicted. Uh, Only about 600 of those were actually convicted Mm -hmm. because, again, we're talking about juries in the South for the most part. Right. Uh, This seems like a good time to take a break. Okay. And we'll pick back up with number seven right after this.
1: Number seven. <laughs> <laughs> right. So there's some, there, just to give you a little historical background real quick, there's some, um, there's reconstruction where black uh, Americans become enfranchised, they, they have the right to vote. In response to that, there's terror, there's Jim Crow laws. And then in response to the Jim Crow laws that that just overtly suppressed the black vote, there was the Voting Rights Act. And for a long time, the Voting Rights Act was really effective. And the reason why it was effective was because there was a section to it, Section 5, that said, hey, if you've ever ever engaged in voter discrimination st- on a statewide basis, on a systemic basis, uh, you have to have us, the federal government, review any changes to the voting procedure in your state before you can implement them. And so any state that wanted to try to come up with some voter suppression tactic, it, it might be brilliant. But if the federal government said no, they couldn't do it. And so the vote would be saved in that respect. Well, in 2013, the roberts Leg court um, struck down Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act. So now we're seeing the result of that where voter suppression tactics are starting to come back and they're starting to come back in, in like this avalanche of, of tactics where across the country, if you put them all together, it's a real problem. But the Voting Rights Act figured in dramatically to save the vote of people um, and the, the gutting of that Section 5 in 2013 by the Supreme Court did the exact opposite to it.
0: That's right. Uh, One tactic that they could use and use for many years was just making it, and still used to some degree, making it difficult to register uh, or to vote. Um, Here are some of the things they used to do is you have to keep re-registering many, many times. Uh, You have to have a street address with an actual name and number. And if you were an African-American living in the rural South, you may not have an actual street address um, on the the dirt road uh, next to the field that you farm um it, it, you know little things like this these technicalities to meet these requirements to vote that they knew that african americans didn't have mm-hmm. and you know there are were and are still literal conversations some of them these days are even on tape where you hear f- public officials <laughs> talk about making it hard for black people to vote and if we do this this is how many people we think we can keep off the voter registration logs mm-hmm. Uh, it's just it 's shameful and um i 'm surprised we 're not screaming at this point we 're trying <laughs> to keep it together uh it wasn 't just in the South though in the north and in the West in the early nineteen hundreds um, there were immigrants and they didn 't want immigrants voting a lot of times mm. um ethnic and religious minorities they didn 't want voting so in places uh in the north and the west, like uh, New Jersey and California, they made it tough for immigrants to vote by saying you have to have your uh your original naturalization papers at the polling place. Mm-hmm. Uh, or maybe we don't want, maybe the interests of people who work in factories don't align with ours. So here's what we'll do. Those people work long 10 to 12-hour shifts, can't make it to the polls. So we're going to close the registration offices before those factories shut down every day right. to keep them from voting.
1: Yeah. And there were there were other ways, like, you know, that that they went back to close these loopholes, too. Like, it was a real public... Private partnership between the government and other groups. There, there were groups that were dedicated to kind of preserving white supremacy in the South. Say that would um, that would boycott businesses that where they found out that those those employers gave their black employees time off during the day to go register to vote or to vote. Like you could lose your customer base, because if, if they found out that you were doing that with, with black people um, or with your black employees. So there were, like, even if you say, <clears throat> well, so what? It was hard to go register to vote. Figure it out. Um, it, it was disproportionately leveled at black voters. And even if you did figure it out, there were repercussions for figuring it out too.
0: Yeah, or in New York, uh, if you know that um – A lot of Jewish people might vote in a more liberal way. Mm -hmm. Hey, let's have registration times on Saturdays and uh, Yom Kippur when we know that Jewish people won't be able to get out and register to vote. Right. It's high time that we make uh, voting days national holidays.
1: I agree, Chuck. I agree. It should be a paid holiday, um, a national paid holiday, or have it on Saturdays. Do something, but make it less hard for sure. Yeah, like people Uh-oh. need to be allowed to vote, and we're not talking about
0: um, voter fraud. We're talking about legal Americans right. having the right and the ability to vote in as easy a way as possible.
1: Yes, and if you also say, "Well, if they really wanted to vote, they would they would find a way to do it." When's the last time you didn't log into a website because it required two factor authentication? Right. Give me a break. <laughs> And we're talking about having to take a bus across the county to register to burn. vote when you have to be working and your employer won't give you time off. So you have to take sick time to just go register to vote and then you have to do it all again to go vote. It's, it's more problematic than it appears just when you're saying it out loud. That was a good burn. Sick burn. Thanks, man. Uh, number six, straight up voter intimidation
0: still happens to a large degree. Uh, in 2004, it was reported that in Florida – in the state election, there, they sent uh, plainclothes state troopers to the homes of forty to fifty elderly black voters mm-hmm. to question them uh, for supposed election fraud. Um, and that when they asked the state officials why they sent these state troopers, they said, "Well, we saw we
1: thought it might be a more relaxed atmosphere to to come to their home and ask these elderly black voters about." whether or not they participated in voter fraud, which, by the way, this investigation turned up absolutely no fraud whatsoever, so it didn't happen, Um, which is, like, basically all investigations of voter fraud turn up no fraud whatsoever. And a lot of people say, well, these investigations are really just um, intimidation tactics. And this one, to me, is one of the more despicable ones because it, it directly traces right back, uninterrupted, to the Reconstruction era. And the fact that yeah. it's still going on today is just despicable to me. But they, yeah. it, it is. And it's not just, um, you know, state troopers showing up at your house to ask you personally. There was a really famous case that our dear governor in Georgia, Brian Kemp, um, when he was secretary of state, because we need to remember, he was secretary of state running an election that he was the one of the two candidates for governor in. Um, and a lot of people say, well, he did some shady stuff, which we'll talk about later. But when he was just straight up Secretary of State, he oversaw the arrest of the Quitman Ten Plus Two, where two African American school board school board officials, um, who were elected a couple of times uh, in this one election in a runoff, fair and square. They were arrested, and their supporters and campaign advisors were arrested and taken to jail and had mugshots of them put on the news um, because they were accused of voter fraud. And after years, the charges were finally dropped. Not a single person went to jail. No one was convicted. Um, But a lot of people point to that and say, if you don't understand that as a clear message to African-American, not just voters, but also uh, office holders— um that they they shouldn't bother running or else their lives are going to be ruined Th- then you're you're really missing the point here yeah in 2014 there
0: was another intimidation tactic uh and this is just you know these things that aren't technically illegal but uh, where candidates just try and be very sneaky mm-hmm. and if they can you know if they can trick 100 voters into doing the wrong thing then it's their their time has been well spent in their minds right but uh Mitch McConnell's campaign sent out these Uh, mailers that were marked election violation notice. And it had the warning, you are at risk of acting on fraudulent information. And you start to read it, and what it is is just um, basically, here's my opposition candidate, and um, we don't like what they say, so this is fraudulent information. But they they dress it up in a way, sort of like the publisher's clearinghouse Mm -hmm. that makes, you know, our, our elderly citizens drive across the country thinking they've actually won real money. Right. This is the opposite. Making it, yeah, this is the opposite of that. But using the same tricks, basically, right. is like you you get a notice in the mail. Um, and these, you know, it's usually preying on people that are that are older in our mm-hmm. country, which is sad and awful. Uh, and they get a notice in their mail that says, oh, whoa, my gosh, I'm at risk of acting on fraudulent information. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they took this uh, – they were sued – but a federal judge said, no, I'm sorry, uh, uh, rejected, basically.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean, it, and also intimidation, too, um, can be official, like in part of official policies. Like uh, some of those poll taxes in the South, um, they added the extra layer of keeping you from even trying be, by saying the only place you can go pay for the poll tax is at your sheriff's office. And right. You, you might say, um, especially if you're white— Uh, Well, big deal. I have to go to the sheriff's office. Well, imagine if you went to the sheriff's office and there was a really good chance that while you were there, paying your poll tax so that you could go vote. And for that reason only, they said, hey, by the way, while you're here, you know, we've got this case open. Where were you on Tuesday night? And you would tell them and they would say, well, can you prove it? Um, Just knowing that that was a possibility. And if you don't realize that was a possibility, I would urge you to, to brush up on your Jim Crow South history, um, would would dissuade a lot of people, I would guess, from going to pay that poll tax and then going to vote.
0: Remember when Helmer Simpson thought he won a boat <laughs> yeah. and had to go to the police station yeah. to claim his prize? Yeah. That was a good one, though.
1: Yeah, that was a good one.
0: Uh, another one, number five, is something that is still, you mentioned Brian Kemp in Georgia. Um Pr- pruning names from the
1: voter rolls. I thought that that was <laughs> I thought that that was a generous word that they used. Pruning? Pruning because it makes it seem like methodical and um, you know, well-informed. Yeah, well this has happened time and time again before the 2000
0: election for president uh in Florida once again state officials uh Republican controlled Florida, they hired a private firm To go through the registration rolls, delete names who were people who had died, Mm -hmm. who were registered multiple times in multiple places, or convicted felons, or declared mentally incompetent in court proceedings. And you might think, well, that's great because, you know, you don't want uh, deceased people on voter rolls, which is true. Totally. But what about when you make mistakes and you delete a lot of voters who are fully eligible to vote? Then what happens? And the answer is nothing
1: no there's not and by the time that it it does turn out like oh we made a mistake uh, the election's long over these these in in inquiries and in their reports that they produce are usually a couple of years after the fact um, but they in georgia in particular they found out that again the guy who oversaw the purging of the voter rolls was one of the two candidates in the election just basic ethics says you recuse yourself. You have nothing to do with this. Or you say, no, 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 let's not do this or let's do it the right way. Not let's purge this many people that we actually mistakenly removed 200,000 people, r- remove their right to vote in this in this election. 200,000. And then just to add horrible irony to the whole thing, it was only by 55,000 votes that that Brian Kemp beat Stacey Abrams in that gubernatorial election
0: yeah that was a bitter pill here in Georgia because uh remember it was like I think it was the week or it may even be in the the eve of the election mm-hmm. when they lobbied the charge that the Republican uh system had been hacked, and that they were launching a case against Abrams to look into it, and then you know, after the election, of course, they' were like, Oh, we were wrong, they didn't hack us after all,
1: right which again who who said that they that they were hacked was it the secretary of state Brian Kemp who is also running for governor against Stacey Abrams? Yeah. Yeah. Um what about voter ID? Voter should ID Should we take a break? Oh yeah, let's take a break. I'm pretty charged up here.
0: All right, we'll take a break and we'll talk about voter ID and some uh, and a few more things right after this.
1: So we talked a lot about voter ID, Chuck, in um, the voter suppression episode. Which again, go go listen to that, guys. It's a it's a good one as well. Um, but the upshot of it, there's that word again. The upshot of it is that um, <laughs> if you require someone to show their that they are who they say they are when when they go vote, you can make a a good case that. At the very least, you're adding an obstacle or a barrier to voting. But you could also say, well, if you have to pay for that, that technically constitutes a poll tax. And people say, oh, yeah, well, Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act doesn't exist anymore, so go sit on it, Ralph mouth, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in some states, it costs up to 60 bucks. That's, uh, to that's unconscionable, that, man. That ID and, you know, $60 for some people is... Their grocery money for the week uh, when you live paycheck to paycheck. And, uh, again, you know, it's really easy to say, well, you know, just pay the money and go out and get your ID so you can vote if you really want to vote. Mm-hmm. If it's a choice between that and putting food on the table for your kids, it's a barrier to voting, plain and simple.
1: Yeah, and also, I mean, there are plenty of states that rightly, who require a voter ID, um, rightly offer free IDs that you can use to vote. Um, like, that's definitely the way that it should be. But mm-hmm. that's still, again, anytime you require somebody to, to potentially take time off of work, that puts an enormous uh, burden on like working, like the working poor. Like people who just can't afford to take time off of work, they might be in a job where there's enough people um, who would love to have that job, that if they take a sick day, their boss can be like, you know what? I know you weren't sick and you're fired. This is the last straw. So your job could actually be on the line. It could be more than just a loss of hours. It could equal the loss of a job. And again, we live in a democratic country where the bar- the barriers to democracy should be lowered, not raised, lowered, and yes we should vigorously prosecute any instance of fraud but because that hasn't been shown to exist lowering the barriers so people can legally vote is not problematic and it's anti-democratic to do that to raise them it
0: is and when you when you hear these uh these taped conversations they're not talking about voter fraud they're saying hey we can get probably a 2.5% reduction of African-American voter turnout in this county mm-hmm. if we do X.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, again, like we keep saying African-American voter turnout, like when 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 there was when I think Miami um, purged their voter rolls in, uh, I don't remember exactly when it was, but there was a commission that did a report on it and their purge affected 65%. Like 65% of the people who were deleted were black voters, even though those voters represented just 20% four percent of the population, whereas only 16.6 percent of the people who were purged were white, even though those people represented 77 percent of the public. So, yeah, like if you if you look at studies of this stuff, it disproportionately impacts black voters typically minority vo- voters as a whole, but definitely black voters for sure. And that's not to say, like, the Republican Party just hates black people. The Republican Party knows that African Americans typically tend to vote Democrat, and they're a large group of people. So if you can make it harder for them to vote, um, you're probably going to affect the Democrat's vote, not your vote.
0: Yeah, another thing that you can do is close uh polling stations and limit polling hours in counties where you think it might help your vote. Um, There are a bunch of swing states, North Carolina, Ohio, and some other states that have cut early voting days or hours. Um, There was a report in 2014 that said they're more likely to inconvenience black voters who like to vote early and in person, Mm -hmm. uh, historically. Mm -hmm. Um, In Maricopa County in Arizona, there were 400 voting, uh, voting locations in
1: 2008. In 2016, there were 60. This is a huge, huge problem. A huge problem. This is a, one, one way that this is going on, making it harder to vote by making voting less available to people when it can totally be afforded. Um, it's being pruned. Um, and it's not just Texas, although Texas has some egregious stuff going on. Since 2000, um, oh, I don't remember. 2014, maybe Texas has shut down 760 polling locations, places to vote. 760, and they they're, they currently have on the um, on the agenda. I don't know if it's been passed or if it's just been proposed or what. But um, if you want to vote by um, mail-in ballot, the drop-off locations in Texas has been reduced to one per county. They said, that's it. There's one place in our 254 counties. There's one place in each of those counties where you can take your ballot to drop it off. The problem with this is that some of Texas's counties are enormous. Texas has a number of counties that are larger than Connecticut and Rhode Island put together. They have something like 120 counties that are larger than Rhode Island. Granted, Rhode Island is small, but Rhode Island is a small state. These are counties in Texas we're talking about. And in one place in each of those counties, there's a place where you can drop off your your mail-in ballot. Um, That's that's a problem. And a lot of people are just going bonkers over that one. Yeah, and beyond uh, closing polling places,
0: uh, like having to maybe take – two or three city buses to get to your place to vote. Sure. When you finally get there, if you manage to uh, go through all that trouble, which is, again, they're trying to to make you say, you know what, it's not worth the trouble. Yeah. Uh, then you're met with, you know, five, six, seven-hour lines right. all day long. Right. Uh, and this is what you get for your, for your troubles to try and participate in American democracy.
1: Yeah. So going on your, on your lunch break doesn't end up working out very well. Uh, what about trickery number two? This is pretty awful. Um, you talked about that one by um, the people. I don't know if it was Mitch McConnell's campaign or just a, a group supporting him, or if it was one and the same. Who knows? Um, tricking people by saying you're about to act on fraudulent uh, information right. or something. That I mean, that's long standing. There is one. I, I'm guarantee we talked about this before. I, I'm almost positive, but in 2008. Um, Someone in Virginia sent a flyer out that looked like it was from the State Board of Elections that said, um, if you're a Republican, you should vote on November 4th. If you're a Democrat, you vote on November 5th, which is the day after the election, which is in one way hilarious. I mean, it's just hysterical that that somebody did that. In another way, in the fact that it it could have, even if it didn't, but it could have impacted somebody's vote by purposefully confusing them, that's despicable. Again, that's a word I keep going to because I genuinely feel that way about going to any length to to deprive or fool someone out of voting. Right. But if you get caught doing
0: that, surely there is uh, a massive debt to pay uh, via jail time, like in Maryland. Uh, in 2010, a robocall campaign during the gubernatorial election told thousands of voters in uh, African American neighborhoods mm-hmm. that they could quote relax and stay at home that evening because Democratic incumbent Governor Martin O'Malley had already won the election. Uh, not true. The polls were closed, and this wasn't just tricksters. This was Paul Shurik, who was the campaign manager for the Republican opponent, um, who went ended up winning, and they caught him, and he was charged and found guilty of four counts of election fraud. Mm-hmm. And you think, all right, throw the book at the guy. What did he get? What did he get? Mm-hmm. He got 30 days home detention, probation, and community service.
1: Right, which is really disappointing, not because that guy deserved worse, but because our federal um, – the the penalties for federal election laws are breaking them um, that are meant to protect – People's right to vote and punish people who try to deprive people of the right to vote those are federal laws, and the penalties are supposed to be pretty stiff so thirty days of of house arrest at his house um when he when really he made a name for himself is like hey i'll I'll make sure that you're going to get elected as a campaign manager. that's very disappointing for sure. Well, because the message it sends is it's totally worth it to do this. Exactly. If we can
0: swing an election, mm-hmm. little community
1: service, who cares? And there's two guys um, who are uh, – I don't know what's going to happen to them, but they are – they have a lot of charges against them right now. But for this – I believe the 2020 election, um, they ha- they sponsored a bunch of robocalls, tens of thousands of robocalls in places like Michigan, Chicago, um And I believe they were targeting African-American voters where it said, if you vote by mail, your information is subject to be handed over to the police and run for um, any potential outstanding warrants. Or it may be added to the mandatory vaccine list as if that exists. But just playing on people's deepest fears to pres- to to prevent them from voting, to dissuade them from voting. You'd have to be a genuine scumbag of the highest order to do something like that. And they caught these two guys, Jacob Wall and Jack Berkman, doing just that. Um, and as a matter of fact, they I guess when they registered these robocalls, um, they registered it to one of their phone numbers. And they came out and blamed it on Democratic operatives. Um, because they wouldn't have possibly used their own phone number for this kind of thing, just to add a little cherry on top. I should right. say all this is alleged because they're they're charged with this right now, but they haven't been convicted. Right.
0: Well, I'm sure they have some
1: community service to look forward to.
0: Yeah, and some house arrest. So um, the final one on the list here is, is a controversial one, to be sure, but whether or not you should be allowed to vote as uh, a felon or as someone who has ever convic- been convicted of a crime, mm-hmm. uh, and many, and this one is one that's kind of going the other way now. But for many, many years in many states, if you have ever been convicted of any crime, even if you went to prison, served your time, got out, and were leading a great, beneficial life uh, towards society, you are not allowed to vote anymore.
1: Right, which has started to become overturned. I think in two thousand eighteen, yeah, in Florida, Florida's had this long-standing um, disenfranchisement policy, which most people have accepted for for years. But then finally, some people came along and said, "Hey, this is really affecting a lot of people who want to vote, who've who've you know served their time, who have become reformed. They want to be full citizens again." Can we give them the right back to vote, and in two thousand and eighteen, that was on the on the uh, ballot and Florida voters overwhelmingly said yes totally let 's do that. They have to have served their time and repaid all of their restitutions, but we're we 're going to um, give them the right to vote back and It was a huge victory and Then there was a Republican lawmaker who said, "Well, wait a minute, this is kind of vague um, It says that they they have to have um, have, have fulfilled all of their sentencing obligations. There's a lot of these people who are about to get their, their right to vote back who haven't paid all their fines and fees, which as it's been understood traditionally, you have basically your lifetime to pay off the, the actual financial fees and restitution that come along with um, being convicted of a crime. Uh, that, that, that you have to pay that off first. That's, that's in the law. And actually got passed in the Florida legislature Republican-controlled legislature, that um, you have to pay all of your fines and fees first before you can get uh, enfranchised again. And that's proving to be an enormous problem for a lot of the um, uh, former convicts.
0: Yeah, so it you know it continues to this day. I know we got on our soapbox and pretty passionate about this one, but we're both believers in the right to vote and to make it as easy as possible for uh eligible voters to vote. I don't see any argument counter to that. Right. That's that's valid. Why why wouldn't you in a great democracy want as many people to vote
1: as possible? Again, the only argument you will see again and again is voter fraud and if you can show that voter fraud doesn't exist then you just knock the legs out from under it and all it's just exposes voter suppression then. So hopefully, Oof. the more people who know about it, Chuck, the the harder it is to do stuff like this. And I hope that that's the case because that's why we shared this. Because I don't care what political persuasion you are, it's wrong to suppress the vote. It's just yep. wrong. I'm sorry. Uh, if you want to know more about voter suppression, um, you can go try to vote and see what happens. And since I said that, it's time for and by the way, go vote, go yeah. vote.
0: <laughs> And, you know, I think by the time this comes out, most of the state's registration will be um, shut down. But uh, for the future, even if you voted in the last election, like I check mine two or three times before every election Mm because I don't want to show up on election day at my polling place and be surprised to learn that I'm not on the roll or the register or that my polling place is moved Mm Uh, Just check it, check it and check it and recheck it.
1: Yeah, and there's tons of websites out there that um, are legit websites that aren't affiliated with any party that can help you check that. Um, And if you are registered to vote, please vote. Whoever you vote for, just vote. Like it's important that you vote. So go be a good American and vote. And since I said that, finally, I think, Chuck, it's time for Listener Mail. Uh, This is from Ellie. She says, hey, guys, live in Kansas,
0: work in Topeka, and I just listened to the episode on fallout shelters. I cannot begin to explain to you the nerdy level of excitement I felt while driving to a client meeting when I spotted a yellow sign with the three triangles, just as you said there would be in the episode. Nice. I wanted so badly to stop and steal the sign off of the old brick, nondescript building, but I didn't think that would bode well since I work for the state. And I was in a state-licensed vehicle at the time.
1: I think people would have just guessed that you were requisitioning it or or taking it down. Yeah. It would have looked official. You would have had to keep the nerdy-giddiness in check.
0: (laughs) Uh, Not surprisingly, the shelter is just two blocks from the Capitol building downtown. Because we all know in a crisis situation, politicians like to make sure they're taken care of first. Uh, Love random history tidbits, so you best believe I'm mentally cataloging and keeping an eye out for more shelters in this area to randomly point out to my husband who have no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) Uh, Anywho, thank you for your podcast and for keeping me company on my hour commute. Uh, Stay healthy and wear a mask because the coronavirus is in fact real. And that is from L-E-T or L actually, I think.
1: So E-L-L-E. Yep, L-T. I'm going to try to suss out what kind of person L is. Um, Did L spell any who with a W-H-O or an H-O-O? Well, what's your guess? She's nerdy giddy over fallout shelters, so I'm going to guess W-H-O. You are correct. Yes. (laughs) Yes, All is one word.
0: A-N-Y-W-H-O.
1: Yeah, because I think that that, um, that suggests a certain amount of... Attention to rules and details. Note that she didn't take the fallout shelter sign, even though she could have. And any who, H-O-O, is much more like whimsical and like, uh, I'll, I'll take my shoes off and roll down a hill even though I'm in my 50s kind of thing.
0: Right, but she also believes that
1: masks save lives, so, you know. Right. Attention to rule and details. <laughs> Uh, well, thanks a lot, L. That's fantastic, and uh, we appreciate hearing from you. Kudos to, to resisting temptation. And yes, wear a mask and go vote. Boy, oh boy, we have ticked a lot of people off with this episode, Chuck. <laughs> if we've ticked um. you off, we want to hear from you. Be nice, but sure, of course we want to hear from you. You can email us. and If you are happy with it, you can email us too. Either way, send it off to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com.